All right, well, we're there in Isaiah chapter 27. And Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, as we've been studying through it, is a little different than maybe other book studies that we've done. For example, the book of Matthew, uh, we were doing the, we were trying to do the best we could going verse by verse through the chapter. And sometimes we had to, uh, you know, spend two or three weeks in, in a chapter. Uh, and that was fine because Matthew was, you know, 28 chapters, which is a, a good sized book, but not huge. Isaiah is 66 uh, chapters. So it, it, we, we've kind of just given one chapter, we're doing one chapter a week, and um, we don't get to everything, but we just kind of move on because we don't really want to spend the rest of our lives studying the book of Isaiah, want to, you know, just get some truths and, and move on. And tonight is going to be kind of one of those weeks. We're not going to go through the entire chapter. In fact, we're not going to go through much of the chapter, uh, just because I explained to you a few weeks ago, the, the chapters we're in right now kind of are dealing with a lot of the same repetitive themes of end times, and we will talk about end times a little bit, but in Isaiah 27, in verse 1, there's this interesting verse that I'd like to just draw out some thoughts for you from, and just give you some things to think about. Isaiah 27, if you look at verse 1, the Bible says this, In that day, the Lord with a sore and great uh, and strong sword shall punish Leviathan, the piercing serpent, even Leviathan, that crooked serpent, and he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. There is an animal in the Bible that Isaiah is referring to here uh, named Leviathan. And the Bible teaches us that Leviathan is a piercing serpent and a crooked serpent. And if you notice there, he even refers to it as a dragon that is in the sea. And I want you to understand, this is, not, uh, this is not a metaphor. This is not Isaiah being descriptive. Isaiah is describing an animal that is described throughout Scripture. Uh, keep your finger there in Isaiah 27, but go with me just real quickly to the book of Psalms. Psalm 74. And uh, I just kind of want you to keep an open mind as we look at this and want to give you some thoughts and uh, Maybe you can go home and search the scriptures uh, daily for yourself to see whether those things are so. But go with me to Psalm 74 and look at verse number 13. Psalm 74 uh, and verse number 13, the Bible says, Psalm 74 and verse 13, it says this, Thou didst divide the sea by thy strength. Now the thou there is referring to God, but I want you to notice what, the, what it says. Thou, referring to God, didst divide the sea by thy strength. Notice, thou breakest the heads of the dragons in the waters. Do you see that? Here the psalmist is referring to these dragons that are in the waters. Look at verse 14. Thou breakest the heads of Leviathan in pieces. Do you see that? So Isaiah says that Leviathan is a piercing serpent, that it is a crooked serpent, that God is going to slay, the Lord is going to slay the dragon that is in the sea. And then the psalmist says that God divided the sea by strength, and he break the heads of the dragons in the waters. And in verse 14 he says, Thou breakest the heads of Leviathan in pieces, and gave us him to be meat to the people inhabiting the wilderness. Look at Psalm 104. Psalm 104, look at verse number 25. Psalm 104 and verse number 25. Psalm 104 and verse number 25. If you flip just a few pages over, Psalm 104 and look at verse number uh, 25. The Bible says in Psalm 104 and verse 25, it says, So is this great and wide sea, wherein are things creeping innumerable. And, you know, 
it is science, you know, I mean, just science and, and, and research tells us that there is more life in the sea than we even know of. And the Bible says here that there are things creeping innumerable, both small and great beasts. There go the ships. Notice verse 26. There is that Leviathan whom thou hast made to play therein. So here the psalmist again tells us that in the sea there's all sorts of beasts, small and great. And there's a reference to that Leviathan. Go to Job chapter 41. Now Job 41 is probably where we get, it's right before the book of Psalms, the book of Job. Job 41 is probably where we get the... uh, the, the, the most description in regards to uh, this creature, this animal uh, called Leviathan. Job 41, and look at verse number 1. Job 41, and look at verse number 1. The Bible says, Canst thou draw out Leviathan with an hook? Now, the purpose of Job 41 is God is speaking to Job, and he's basically trying to explain to Job how weak and small Job is. And God is using this creature, Leviathan, to explain to Job that he is frail, that he is small, that he is weak. And God says to Job, he asks them these questions, but the questions are it kind of explained to us that this Leviathan is a huge animal. Look at verse 1. Canst thou draw out Leviathan with an hook? Because remember, we saw that he was in the sea, right? He was referred to as a sea dragon, and a hook is something you would use to, you know, fish an animal or out of the sea. So the Bible, God is saying to Job, he says, Can you draw out Leviathan with an hook? Or his tongue with a cord which thou lettest down? Look at verse 2. Canst thou put an hook into his nose? Or bore his jaw through with a thorn? Will he, talking about Leviathan, make many supplications unto thee? The word supplications means beggings. He says, are you going to get this creature, Leviathan, to beg to you? Will he speak soft words unto thee? Look at verse 4. Will he make a covenant with thee? He said, can you make a deal with this Leviathan? Will thou take him for a servant forever? He said, can you, can you capture him? Like you would capture a dog or like you would capture some sort of, and domesticate? He said, can you, can you take the Leviathan and domesticate it and make him a servant forever? Look at verse 5. Will thou play with him as with a bird? He said, are you going to play with him like some sort of a small animal? Or wilt thou bind him for thy maidens? The word maidens means young girls. He said, are you going to go out and capture uh, a Leviathan and bring him home to, to give to your daughter to play with or give to go out to the young ladies to play with? Look at verse 6. Shall the companions make a banquet for him? Shall they part him among the merchants? And the point that God's trying to make is that this huge animal, Leviathan, he said, he said it's, it's big. He said, you can't draw it out of the sea. You can't capture it. You can't play with it like a bird. You can't control this animal. Not only does God describe in Job 41 that Leviathan is this huge animal, but he also describes his exterior scales. Look at verse number 7 there in Job 41. Look at verse 7 in Job 41. He says, Canst, canst thou... Fill his skin with barbed irons or his head with fish spears. He said, if, if, if I brought Leviathan out and gave you a spear, you would not be able to thrust that spear into his skull. He said, you would not be able to, 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 to thrust that into uh, his skin with barbed irons. Look at verse number 14, same chapter, Job 41, 14. He says, who can open the doors of his face? His teeth are terrible round about. His scales are his pride. 
shut up together as with a closed seal. Talking about his scales being, you know, just strong and they're sealed together. They're, they're, uh, they're, they're closed together. Verse 16, one is so near to another that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. They stick together. They cannot be sundered. Look at verse 23. Skip down to verse 23. That, that I, in verse 17 where he says they cannot be sundered. He said you can't break them apart. You can't, if, if you would walk up to it, it's, it's uh, scales there, you wouldn't be able to breach it. It's so strong. Verse 23. The flakes of his flesh are joined together. They are firm in themselves. They cannot be moved. Look at verse 26. Skip down to verse 26 just real quickly. Verse 26. The sword of him that layeth at him cannot hold. The spear, the dart, nor the habergeon. So basically he's saying, look, you take a sword to him, you take a spear, you can't, you can't cut this thing, you can't attack this thing. This thing is bigger than you, Job. This thing is, is stronger than you. Look at verse 9 again. Go up to verse 9 just real quickly. Uh, notice what he says in verse 9. Behold, the hope of him is in vain. Shall not one be cast down even at the side of him? He says, if you, if you saw Leviathan, if Leviathan kind of rose his heads up and looked at you, um, you would be cast down even at the sight of him. He said, you, you would fall down, you'd be so scared at this animal. Look at verse 18. Verse number 18 of Job 41. Not only is he huge, not only is the Bible referred to him as a serpent, and as a dragon that's in the sea, not only does he have these uh, hard exterior scales and he strikes fear into the hearts of people, uh, I'd like you to see verse 18. The Bible says, and God says, and you got to understand, this is the Word of God. I mean, we believe that every Word of God is inspired and preserved, and it's exactly what God uh, meant, and it's not, it's not myth- mythology. It's not, you know, just someone being overly descriptive. God tells us, you know, when He's using an analogy, and here God is describing an animal for Job that Job is familiar with. Now, notice in verse 18, the Bible says, "...by his kneesings." A light doth shine. Now that word sneezing there, it's, it's like our word sneezing, only you don't have, you know, any of uh, the snot coming out. It's like when a, when a, when a horse would kind of like huff, you know. It's, a, it's, it's, you know, bringing air out of your nostrils. I would do it for you, but I'm afraid that I might, you know, get some boogers on these guys in the front row. But, uh, you know, that's what a sneezing is. It's, it's the same idea as sneezing. But notice what it says. By his sneezing, so when this dragon would like flare its nostrils and, uh, you know, puff out uh, breath out of his nose. The Bible says, a light doth shine. So he allow you know, sneezes and, and light comes out of it. Look what it says. And his eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. Verse 19. Out of his mouth go burning lamps. He opened his mouth and burning lamps come out. And sparks of fire leap out. Verse 20. Out of his nostrils go its smoke as out of a seething pot or cauldron, his breath kindleth coals, and a flame goeth out of his mouth. Now you're saying, Pastor Jimenez, are you trying to tell us tonight that the Bible teaches that there is a serpent or a reptile, a dragon, that lives in the sea, that is huge, that you could not draw out with a hook, that is so strong that you could not pierce his skin with, with, with a sword or, or with, with, with a spear. 
And it breathes out fire out of his nostrils, out of his mouth comes out fire. Are you trying to tell me that the Bible teaches that there is a fire-breathing dragon named Leviathan? And uh, yeah, that's exactly what I'm trying to tell you. And people act like, oh, that is so crazy. The Bible is so ridiculous. The Bible is so made up. Right, because you know, you, today you cannot find a book that has nothing to do with the Bible. You cannot find a book that's just a secular book of education. Today you cannot go into a college class and have somebody teach you that on planet Earth there used to live these reptiles that were big, that people were scared of. You know, that's just unheard of, right? The fact that there were reptiles that were huge, that lived on Earth, that lived in the sea, and that, you know, people might have been scared of, and that were just these huge animals. I mean, you know... here's what's interesting about our society. If science says, hey, there's these big old animals and they're called dinosaurs and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And everybody's like, oh, well, I mean, that's science. Of course, that's true. But then the Bible says, hey, there's this big old reptile that is a huge lizard and Job, you ought to be scared of it. And then everybody's like, oh, the Bible's ridiculous. Look, the reason that people don't like to associate these dragons in Scripture as just what we would call dinosaurs today is because there's an agenda behind the dinosaur movement. People want to teach these false lies, you know, and say that the earth has been around for millions of years and, and that dinosaurs, you know, lived before mankind and humans have never seen dinosaurs. But look, the Bible teaches that the, Bible, that the earth has been around for, you know, around 6,000 years. That's what the Bible teaches. If you study God's word from Adam all the way to today, the earth has been around for less than 10,000 years. There's no way the earth is millions of years old. And the Bible teaches that dinosaurs lived on earth with man. And here you have God describing this Leviathan, which is basically a dinosaur that lives out in the sea. In chapter 40, we won't take the time to go through it, but he describes Behemoth, which is this huge land animal, which you cannot describe as anything other than a dinosaur. You say, well, why do people say, well, you know, dinosaurs, you know, they didn't live with man, they didn't live... Look, and they, you know, people, you got to understand this. You think, is it that insane that an animal could produce like fire. Do you know that today there are, you know, there are electric eels? I was, you know, my kids and I were doing research for my sermon tonight, you know, on the internet and we were looking, we're watching this video. There's eels that produce 800 watts of voltage. I mean, there's animals today that produce electrical. There, there are electric stingrays. There are electric catfish that if you touch their whiskers, they'll shock you. And they live in the water. And here we have this Leviathan that also lives in the water. And God says he produces fire. He produces this this thing that, you know, but that's, you say, well, that's unheard of. That's a fairy tale. Animals do it today. There are animals today. There are Komodo dragons today that grow up to 10 feet tall, that spit acid out of their mouth. And yet, if the Bible says that it's a fairy tale, if the Bible says that it's ridiculous, and the Bible says that you're, what are you, some sort of Neanderthal? Well, no, because, you know, we're only 10,000 years old. Those things are made up. (laughs) You know, what are you, some sort of a hillbilly? It really, here's, here's what's interesting. The Bible teaches that Leviathan lived on earth with Job. Job knew it. Job saw it. God describes Behemoth in chapter 40. And he describes this huge animal that has a tail like a cedar tree that can drink, you know, it's just this huge animal. And he's basically describing what you and I would call a dinosaur, which is not a Bible word. And Job understood it, and Job saw it. And here's what's interesting. I just want you, I want to give you uh, just something to think about. Do you know that every ancient civilization on planet Earth 
has, you know, in their history, the idea of dragons. If dragons were made up, if just one guy just made up a dragon, you know, how likely is it that the Chinese, who are an ancient civilization, and then in Europe, and then in South America, and just all over the world, all these civilizations that were not connected, all have, you know, these mythological huge lizards that breathed out fire, that, you know, people were scared of. You know, did everybody just come up with these ideas on their own? They just happened to all be relatively the same thing. I mean, maybe these animals actually walked on earth, and maybe people actually saw them. Let me read for you an article, and of course it's a Christian article from a website called allaboutcreation.org. But let, let me read to you an article uh, that says this, just an excerpt from it. Uh, dragons in history. It talks about where are the dragons in history. Well, actually, let's start with the Bible, the most widely published book in history. A search of the word dragon in the King James Version of the Bible produces 34 separate matches across 10 different books written between approximately 2000 B.C. and 900 A.D. The word dragon, Hebrew tanin, is used throughout the Old Testament and most directly translates as sea or land monster. In the book of Job, the author describes the great creatures behemoth, Job 40, and Leviathan, Job 41. Although the latest Bible translations use the word elephant, hippo, or crocodile instead of behemoth and leviathan, the original Hebrew and the context of the descriptions do not allow for these interpretations. And by the way, you know, these, these new Bible versions want to change it to a hippo. I don't know about you, but I've never seen a fire-breathing hippo. You know what I mean? I've never seen a, you know, a crocodile that was so huge. I mean, I've, I mean, wasn't there a guy, didn't some guy just die like a few years ago that used to wrestle down crocodiles? Okay, that's not Leviathan, all right? Le- Leviathan is an animal that you can't wrestle down. Leviathan is huge. Let me keep reading for you. Of course, dragon history is by no means limited to the Bible. Dragon accounts from China, Europe, the Middle East, and ancient Latin America share similar accounts. Uh, I'm sorry, ancient Accounts from China, Europe, and Middle East, uh, and ancient Latin America share similar accounts of dragons and other beasts. For instance, records of Marco Polo in China show that the royal house kept dragons for ceremonies and dragons were hunted for meat and medicine in the providence of Karazan. Records of the Greek historian Herodotus and Jewish historian Josephus describe flying reptiles in ancient Egypt and Arabia. Uh, this isn't in the article, but I remember reading Alexander the Great journaled about seeing dragons as he was in his journeys and adventures, you know, uh, into different lands. Let me keep reading. In other cultures, it was a great honor to kill these creatures. There are numerous records of warriors killing great beasts in order to establish credibility in a village. Gilgamesh, Fafner, Beowulf, and other famous legends, including mythology of Egypt, Greece, and Rome, include specific descriptions of dragons and other dinosaur-like creatures. Dragon history is revealed on numerous objects of ancient art throughout the world. Dinosaur-like creatures are featured on Babylonian landmarks, Roman mosaics, Asian pottery, and royal robes of Egyptian burial shrouds and government seals. Peruvian burial stones and tapestries, Mayan sculptures, Aboriginal and Native American petroglyphs, carved rock drawings, and many other pieces of ceremonial art throughout ancient cultures. So we're supposed to believe that the Mayans, the Native Americans, the Chinese, the Romans, the Greeks, you know, just all these 
ancient culture, society, when we find, you know, these civilizations, they all were just like drawing and carving and pottering and, and these images of these huge lizards. But no, Pastor Emmanuel, I mean, you're, you're just an idiot. Don't you know dinosaurs lived millions, millions of years ago and the world just millions of years old? And, not, you know, dinosaur bones weren't, you know, found until like 150 or 180 years ago. You know, how would these people know that these huge animals lived on earth if no one had even found an animal? Maybe people actually saw these animals. Maybe the earth is not, you know, 10 billion years old or whatever they teach. Millions of years old, six million years old. Maybe, maybe the Bible account of creation is right and God created every creature on the sixth day like he said. Maybe the Bible account of Behemoth being, uh, you know, created uh, on the same day as Job is actually true. Maybe the Bible knows what it's talking about. Maybe these huge, you know, here's what I think. When, when these so-called scientists started finding these huge bones of these reptiles, nobody sat there and thought to themselves, huh, maybe Leviathan in the Bible was right. You know, it's like no matter what proof you bring to them, it's always the Bible is wrong and science is right. But it's science falsely so-called. Because the Bible, it's just interesting to me that the Bible is always, people will mock at it, people will laugh at it, but the Bible is always scientific, scientifically right, and the Bible is always ahead of science. Amen. 150 years ago, 180 years ago, 200 years ago, people started carving out these things. Like, look, who would have figured? There's these huge animals, these reptiles used to live on earth. And Job tells us about it in Job 41. Isaiah tells us about it in Isaiah 27. Job you know, describes Behemoth in chapter 40. I mean, and it goes on and on. Leviathan was an actual animal that lived on earth. And the only reason that people want to ignore it is because it goes against the agenda of evolution. That, you know, God doesn't exist and we came from an animal. Look, everything reproduces, you know, everything brings after its own kind. Go back, go, go to Genesis chapter number 3. So, number one, I want you to see that this was an actual animal that lived on earth. It was a, I know it's hard to believe, but there was these huge reptiles that lived on earth. And, so, you know, the Bible teaches that they produced fire, you know, maybe some sort of electrical shock or whatever, just like animals do today. I mean, there's huge animals in the sea today. I mean, there are huge animals out in the ocean right now. And, uh, but, but, we're, but the Bible, the Bible is always wrong. You know, maybe we'd be better off if we just read and believe the Bible. Go to Genesis chapter 3. Let me show you something interesting about Leviathan. So I want you to understand. You say, Pastor Man, do you believe in fire-breathing dragons? Um, the Bible teaches them. And the Bible's never let me down before. So, yeah, I believe it. And you say, well, I can't believe that you believe it. Well, you sh you, why don't you go home and just, why don't you turn off your television and turn off YouTube and actually just read the Bible and let the Bible tell you what, you know, let God renew your mind and maybe you'll start realizing that the Bible is true, God exists, and, you know, Job obviously knew about these dinosaurs before they were ever created. Go Genesis chapter 3. Let me show you something interesting. We saw this this morning, uh, but let me just uh, show it to you just real quickly. Genesis chapter 3, look at verse 1. Now the serpent, remember the serpent we talked about this morning? Who's the serpent? That's Satan, right? Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden. So I want you to notice, when Satan appeared to Eve... He appeared to her as a, ser uh, as a serpent, a snake. Go to Revelation chapter number 12. Revelation chapter number 12. 
Revelation chapter 12. I, I, want, I want to just show you just something kind of interesting about this. We'll look at a few passages and we'll be done and you can get to your cake and ice cream, all right? Revelation chapter number 12. Look at verse 9. I want to tell you something. Because some of you are like, I can't believe Pastor Jimenez. I, mean, I, thought, you were, I thought you were decent. I thought you were, I mean, you believe in dragons? Look, not only do I believe in dragons, let me, let me, and I'm going to prove it to you from the Bible. I believe in fairy tales. Let me show you. Revelation chapter 12. Look at verse 9. Revelation chapter number 12, look at verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out. Now who's that dragon? The old serpent. Who's the serpent? Called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So I want you to notice, the Bible calls Satan a great dragon, an old serpent, the devil, and Satan. All right? Do you see that in, in Revelation 12, 9? So I want you to notice, in the Bible, Leviathan was this fire-breathing dinosaur, dragon, whatever you want to call it. But the Bible uses Leviathan as a symbol or an image of Satan because Satan, when he appeared to Eve, appeared to her in the form of a serpent, and God calls him a dragon, an old serpent, the devil, Satan, all, that, all those things. Go to Revelation chapter number uh, 12 and look at verse number 13. You're there in Revelation 12 verse 9. Look at verse number 13. I want you to notice something. Who is the dragon hurting in, these, in, in end times? Notice Revelation chapter 12 and verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman. Do you see that? Which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for a time, and times and half a time, from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast, and the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragons cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed. So those that came from the woman, which keep the commandments of God, and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So who is the dragon attacking? He's attacking the woman. But who is he attacking? He's attacking her seed, who are the, those that have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Well, who has the testimony of Jesus Christ? Christians, people that are believers. You, you get saved by believing in Jesus Christ, having his testimony. Go to Ephesians uh, chapter number 5. Keep your finger there in Revelation, okay? And go to Ephesians chapter number 5. Let me show you something uh, interesting about these believers. In Revelation 12, we're told that the dragon is attacking this woman and, and practi for practical sense. Who's the woman that he's attacking? Well, he's persecuting and he's making war with the remnant of her seed, which are those that have the testimony of Jesus Jesus Christ, excuse me. I guess I shouldn't be trying to drink water while I'm in the middle of a sentence. <laughs> Ephesians 5, look at verse 22. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Notice what the Bible says. Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. That's why you wives ought to submit to your husbands, because the husband is the head of the wife. But notice, even as Christ is the head of the church. Okay, So here we have an analogy. You have a husband and a wife. And the Bible says that wives should submit themselves to their husbands as unto the Lord. Why? Because Christ 
Because the husband is the head of the wife in the same way that Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. Look at verse 24. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. So here we're told, hey, wives, you need to be subject to your husbands in everything. Why? Because wives are a picture of the church and husbands are a picture of Christ. In the same way that the church is subject unto Christ and everything, wives ought to be subject to their own husbands. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. Husbands, you got to love your wife more than anything else. Why? Because Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Verse 27. That he might present it to himself a glorious church. Do you see that? Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that he should be holy and without blemish. So the Bible teaches that the wives is are a picture of the church. What is the church? The church is, is not a building. The church is not, you know, a location. The church is made up of believers. We as believers make up the church. And in the book of Revelation, we're told that a woman is being persecuted by the dragon, and it is believers, those who have the testimony of Jesus Christ, are being persecuted by the dragon. Go back to Isaiah 27 and look at verse number 1, just real quickly. Isaiah 27. Uh, keep your finger in Ephesians. I, I meant to tell you that. Some of you turned already, so uh, you'll have to go back there. But uh, go, go to Isaiah 27. I'm trying to do this quickly, because some of you guys really want cake. Okay, I really want cake. No, I'm Isaiah 27, look at verse 1. Isaiah 27, verse 1. Isaiah 27, verse 1. Remember where we started? In that day the Lord, with his sore and great and strong sword, shall punish Leviathan. So who's Leviathan? The piercing servant, even Leviathan, that crooked servant. And he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. Now who is the dragon persecuting? He's persecuting the woman who's made up of believers, which in Ephesians tells us is the bride or the future wife of Christ. Okay, Now notice here in verse 1 that says, In that day the Lord, with his sore and great strong sword, shall punish Leviathan. So the Lord is going to take a sword and he's going to punish Leviathan. What's that sword? Go back to Ephesians if you kept your place there. Ephesians chapter number 6. Look at verse number 17. Ephesians chapter number 6, verse number 17. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17, the Bible says, And take the help. Remember, Ephesians 6 is all about taking on the armor of God. So there's all sorts of pieces of this armor. But we're just going to look at verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So what's the sword? The Word of God. The Word of God is the sword. That is the weapon that we fight with. Go to Hebrews chapter number 4. This is a well-known verse. Many of you know it, but let's look at it together. Hebrews chapter number 4 and look at verse number 12. Hebrews chapter number 4 and look at verse number 12. Hebrews 4.12 says this. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. For the Word of God. Now we just saw that the Word of God is what? The sword. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So it's not only the sword, uh, it's not only a sword, it is the sword. It is the sword. It is the most powerful sword, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Because remember, in Job we were told, if you take a sword to Leviathan, you can't even, his exterior uh, uh, scales are so strong, you, you can't even cut him. You can't do anything to him. But the Bible says that God has a sword, which is sharper than any two-edged sword, 
piercing even to the deciding, dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner, and the thoughts and intents of the heart. So when you have, you have physical swords that can't go past a scale, but the sword of God goes down to the soul, it goes down to the bones, it goes down to your thoughts, it goes down to your heart. It's a powerful sword. Go to Revelation chapter 19. You have Leviathan, who's a fire-breathing dragon, persecuting a woman who's made up of believers, who's the wife of Christ. And then you have the Lord picking up a sword to slay Leviathan. When does he do that? Revelation 19. Look at verse number 11. The second coming of Christ, and I saw heaven open. And behold, notice how Jesus comes, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He's a king on a white horse. And he had a name written that no man knew, but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, and clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Notice verse 15. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, the Word of God. Why does it go out of his mouth? Because it's his word. That with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fiercest and wrath of the Almighty God, and he hath on his vesture and on his thighs the name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Go back to Isaiah 27 and look at verse number 1. In Isaiah 27, we're told this. In that day, the Lord, with his sore and great and strong sword, shall punish Leviathan, the piercing serpent, even Leviathan, that crooked serpent, and he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. Who is Leviathan? Well, we know that Leviathan was an actual creature, an animal, a dragon that lived on earth with man, a huge reptile that breathed out fire and lived in the sea. But that fire-breathing dragon also represents Satan, that serpent, that old serpent, that great dragon, the devil, Satan. And the dragon has a damsel in distress, which is the woman, which is made up of believers, which is the church. And one day, here comes a king on a white horse with a sword to slay the dragon and save the damsel, Jesus Christ. The Bible is the greatest book that's ever written. Do you know that? Say, all these, myth- all these stories ever told about these women and dragons were hurting them and there, here came a prince on a white horse with a sword. You know that it's just regurgitation of Scripture? You know that Jesus Christ is your knight in shining armor? You know that the Bible... You, see, you, say, you say, well, I, I, just, I can't give up my Hollywood movies because Hollywood produces such good stories. Hollywood doesn't produce nothing. It just steals it from God. Amen. Greatest book ever written was the Bible. The fact that the dragon is persecuting you and one day on a white horse comes Jesus Christ with the most powerful sword to slay the dragon and free the damsel. It's the word of God. Go to Jude chapter number one, only one chapter, and look at verse number nine. So when you tuck your kids into bed, don't read them a fairy tale. Read them the word of God. You can still read to them about a dragon and a damsel and a... Prince of prince and king of kings and lord of lords, who slays the dragon. Say, well, what can we get from this? Jude, look at verse number 9. Yet Michael the archangel, 
the archangel is a reference to the fact that Michael is not a regular angel, but he's like, you know, one of the main angels. He's a boss. He, he's got people under him. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Durst not, that word durst means dared. He dared not, durst not, bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. We've been preaching on Sunday mornings about this idea of temptation. Satan tempted Christ, and Satan and his devils are going to tempt you. And here's what you've got to understand. Satan is not someone to mess with. Because when God chose an animal to describe Satan, he did not choose a hippo, okay, like the NIV teaches, okay? He did not choose an alligator. He did not choose, you know, a walrus, okay? He found the biggest, baddest, strongest animal he could find, Leviathan, the sea, dragon, fire-breathing serpent. And he said, that's Satan. And here's what you got to understand. Satan is no one to mess with. Because when Michael the archangel was contending against Satan and fighting with Satan, he did not even dare to bring a railing accusation. But here's what he did. He said, my knight in shining armor rebuke thee. The Lord rebuke thee. Because you know what? I can't beat Satan, and you can't beat Satan. He's too strong for us. But we have a king who has a sharp sword who's coming to slay that dragon. We're on the winning side. And look, in, in future events, Christ wins. So don't let the dragon win today. Don't give in to these temptations and give in to these fights. Because all you say, well, I can't beat Satan, but here's all you have to do. The Lord rebuke thee. The Lord rebuke thee. Because even the dragon, at the end of the day, gets slain. And the damsel gets saved. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Father.